0: If you will, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 13, and you can also go ahead and just put a finger right in the book of Romans. I want to dig into some things, some pretty deep subjects today, um, and I hope that you will follow along with me because they are tough subjects. They're tough subjects indeed. Guys, I got to tell you, it's so good to be back with you. It was good to have a weekend off, but at the same time, it is good to be back with you. Let me tell you how, what a genius your pastor is. <laughs> Some of you are laughing because you already know. Um, we decided to take a little family trip after the boys graduated from CEC. We decided to head on up to Gatlinburg, or Pigeon Forge, and... Um, We knew that Splash Country was opening last weekend. So we thought, well, heck, yeah, we'll go to Splash Country. We'll take the boys to the water park. They'll have a blast. Let me tell you something. A water park in May is not fun. It ain't fun at all. It's cold. It is bitterly cold. The Lazy River, you know what I'm talking about? The little river that you get on a tube. Man, that was misery. That was absolute misery. But the funniest part of the whole trip that I thought was... um, when we were deciding who, what rides we were going to ride, what slides we were going to ride, one of them, I can't even remember the name of it, I think it was High Falls Slide or something like that, um, it was one of the two tube slides, you know what I'm talking about? So you got two people in one tube, and you go down this slide, and I mean, it was awesome. It was awesome. So we had to pair off. So of course there was an argument, who was going to get to ride with mama, and who had to ride with daddy. You know what I'm talking about there? Who wants to ride with mama and who gets to ride with daddy? Well, unfortunately, um, Colton pulled the short straw and Colton had to ride with his daddy. So they put Colton up in front and they put me in back. Do you know what happens when you put a 300 pound man in a back of a tube with a little kid? You skyrocket down that thing. And I'm talking, it it, it got intense. Colton was screaming. I got a little bit nervous. I thought they needed a little bit more banking on one side when we were going around one turn. Thought we were going to go off of there. But we finally got to the bottom. And I tell you, it was a ride. It was a ride and a half. And we're sitting there. And we're waiting. Colton looks at me and says, Daddy, where's Dalton and Mama? I said, they're coming. They're coming. I'd hear some screaming. Think that was them? Nope. Somebody else slides out. Daddy, where's mama? Where's Dalton? They're coming son, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. I hear some screaming, another tube slides out, still not them. So I'm sitting there scratching my head trying to figure out what's going on. And about that time out of the corner of my eye, I see Jennifer and Dalton walking down the steps. They were the smart ones. <laughs> they were the extremely smart ones because it was cold. But a lot of times in our life, we find ourselves in that situation. We find ourselves facing some very hard situations, some very hard topics, some very hard things of life. And a lot of times, we will choose to avoid those topics instead of hitting them head off. Today, we're going to be hitting a hard topic. Actually, we're going to be hitting two hard topics head on. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking, been preaching through uh, Matthew 13, the parables of the sower, the parables of um, the wheat and the tares, and all the parables that Jesus was trying to tell his disciples what the kingdom of heaven was going to be like. And today we're going to finish up with the parables with verses 47 through 52. But we're also going to be using this as an intro. An intro into our next very in-depth sermon series called The Hope in You. A study on Christian apologetics. We're in a time to where Christian apologetics, where it's had a bad rap for many years, it's at a time to where we're going to have to start facing some very, very hard topics. Our culture is pushing a lot of things at us, and in a way we're going to have to ultimately choose. What are we going to stand on? Are we going to hold to our culture or are we going to hold to this? Are we going to hold to our convictions or are we going to play the popularity card? Ultimately, we'll be wrapping it all up on 4th of July. When it comes down to it, are we going to choose our God are we going to choose our country? Very hard topic. Very hard things that we're facing right now. So before we dive into this scripture, I want you to pray with me, guys. Father, we know that you've given us this word as a tool, as an instrument to edify us, to help us grow in knowledge of who you are, to help us grow in an understanding of what salvation really is but also to help us understand an understanding of some very hard topics that we're going to be dealing with over the next couple of weeks. Father, it is my heart that your word will speak clear, not my words. It is my heart that your spirit will draw people, not conviction that could come from me. It is my heart, Lord, that you are exalted and that you are glorified. And this isn't just seen as a good sermon. This just isn't seen as a good series or a good teaching. But this is seen as the word of God which you've given us, Lord, to show us how much you love us, but also what you have spared us from by us believing in what your son, Jesus Christ, has done for us. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us together. As always, Lord, many sister churches, are assembling right now. And we pray, Lord, more than anything, that your name is being exalted in every one of those congregations. But specifically this morning, Lord, I also want to pray for our brothers and sisters at Antioch. As their pastor of 22 years, Lord, stands before his congregation for the last time. I'm thankful for men like George Klein, Lord. I'm thankful for men who've shown me that That many years at one church is possible. And Father, we pray as the Antioch moves into this transition, we pray that you would guide them in picking the shepherd that you have for that congregation. Father, we also pray for our other congregations, not just Antioch. We're all one church, Lord. We may have different locations, but we all serve the same purpose. To lift up the name of Jesus. And this morning, that's what we're doing. So this morning, Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us a heart to receive what your word has for us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Matthew 13, verses 47 through 52. We see Jesus drawing a conclusion to these parables. And he's going to do it using some illustrations that are very, very familiar to the disciples of that time. So if you will, follow along with me as we read through the passage, then we're going to come back and we're going to hit on a couple of high points. In verse 47, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled... They drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad fish they threw away. So it will be at the end of age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, they will be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings out all his treasures, things new and things old. Jesus opens this up talking about something that's very familiar to them. He talks to them about fishing. Our ways of fishing are a lot different from the methods that the disciples used. Believe it or not, they still used our methods, but most of the time when we think about fishing, we think about a hook, a sinker, and some bait. Sometimes we think about a casting net. Whenever we hear the words net, I don't know why. In my mind, a casting net always comes to my mind. I've always wanted wanted to be able to do that. You know what I'm talking about? The castanet, you throw part of it over your shoulder. You've got the rope on your hand right here. You've got part of it in this hand. You've got part of it in your mouth. And you have to acrobatically sling it out. And it makes this perfectly big circle and drops down. I was watching YouTube videos because I wanted to show y'all one on it. And I was watching YouTube videos of this old man doing it. And apparently he had dentures and he didn't let go <laughs> properly with his mouth when he needed to and it drug his dentures right out of his mouth. I thought about throwing that up there, but I knew that would just ruin the whole illustration of the sermon. But even that, they used that tactic too. They had that tactic of fishing too, cast net. But the type of net that he's talking about here is what we would refer to as a sane net. A sane net is completely different. A sane net is a net that goes from bank to bank or from ship to ship. And the purpose of this is to gather everything that is in the path. He tells us that this is an illustration of the end. And I know some of you are wondering, Scotty, are you going to get into some end time stuff? No, because that's not really the whole meaning of this. Guys, I'm not saying that the end is near. I'm not saying that the end is not near. And for you who are wondering, well, which is it, Scotty? My answer is yes to both. We're closer than we were before. But I still don't think it's time yet. And everybody says, well, we got so much going on. We've got all these rumors of wars. We've got all these things that are taking place around us. But in Luke chapter 17, Jesus even says, these are just the beginnings of birth pains. And the time is not come yet. Honestly, guys, when it comes to end times, let's just be honest. Ever since Jesus ascended to be with his father, we have been in the end times. We will continue to be in the end times. It could come tomorrow. It could come next year. But that's not the whole point of this. The whole point of this is until it comes, we have a lot to be done. We have a lot of work to do. So these nets, these same nets, would come out either from a boat or from bank to bank and they would capture everything in its path. The Bible refers to them as good fish and bad fish. But later, Jesus tells us in the same parable, what he's referring to is the wicked and the righteous. What's the difference? Think about that for a minute. What's the difference in wicked and righteous people? Some will say, well... It's a matter of good deeds and bad deeds. And to some extent, I will go along with you on that. But we have to be careful with that mindset because a matter of good deeds and bad deeds is what we really call religion. That is you trying to work your way to God. And that's not how it happens. Some people would say, well, it's a matter of Doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. And again, to an extent, I will agree with you on that. But again, that's called moralism. That's saying that you can make yourself good enough to get to him. So what does the scripture say about this? Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. With those two scriptures read just like that right there. What does that mean for all of us? What do we deserve? Every single one in the sound of my voice, whether you're online or whether you're in this auditorium. Every single one of us deserve death. Every single one of us have sinned. My little boys at five, they have sinned. Believe it or not, they have. You don't believe me? What are you doing the rest of the afternoon? Take them with you. Find out for yourself. You will see two kids lying. I didn't do that, Daddy. Colton did that. You will see two little kids beating the fool out of each other. You will see two little kids who can be sweet and innocent at one point. but the flip of a switch can turn to the most evil little things I've ever seen before in my life. Why is that? <laughs> He's not lying. He's not lying at all. Do a little thing with the boys all the time. I'll ask them, who made you so handsome? They'll look at me and they'll say, Jesus. I'll say, who made you so smart? They'll look at me and say, Mama. (laughs) I'll ask them, who made you mean? They'll look right at me and say, you did, Daddy. (laughs) They're not lying, he's not lying. But from birth, from birth, this sinful nature is in us. Whether we like it or not, it is in us. It is a part of us. From the fall, we've seen that sin entered the world, not through God. A lot of people think that God created sin. God didn't create sin. God gave man a choice, and man made the choice to sin. Sin is disobedience from God. So naturally, In us, there is a longing, a yearning, a desire to go against what is right in the sight of God. It comes from one man. It comes from one man. So what does this mean about the difference between right and wrong? What's this mean about the difference between people who are wicked and people who are righteous? Where does our righteousness come from? Romans 5 makes this very clear, guys. In verse 17, and I'm going to start from there, but I'm going to read down just a little bit. Romans 5 verse 17 says, For it is by the transgression of one, talking about Adam, that death reigned through the one. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness. I want you to keep put a note on that. Will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so though, one act of righteousness, there resulted in justification of life to all men. Verse 19. For as through One man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. When we talk about the word righteous, we think of it as something that we can do. And Romans 5 is very clear on this. And guys, for y'all who want to dig into Romans a little bit more, we're going through it in Sunday school, and I promise you, it's something that you really want to dig into. Romans gives us an understanding of why our salvation is important. It gives us an understanding of where our salvation is coming from. But in this piece of scripture right here, it tells us where our righteousness can come from. Our righteousness cannot come from anything that we do. Paul even said that my best works are as filthy rags. Filthy rags. Romans 5 tells us that righteousness is a gift. You know what you don't do for gifts? You don't earn gifts. You don't earn them. Gifts are given because someone thinks of you. Gifts are given because someone thinks of you or loves you. Gifts are given because someone values you. Your righteousness for all who have believed in Jesus Christ is not about anything that you have done. There is no amount of righteousness that we can can produce that would ever put us in right standing with God. So according to the scriptures, we're all what? Sinners. And we all deserve what? Do you understand what he's talking about when he says death? Death. The whole thing of us embracing that we're all sinners, that's just one unpopular part of today's sermon. The second unpopular part is what's he really talking about when he says we deserve death. So it will be. In the end of age. The angels will come forth. And take out the wicked from the watchfulness. And they will be thrown. Into the fiery furnace. Into a place. Where there will be. Weeping. And gnashing. Of teeth. Jesus is dealing with a very. Very tough subject here. And. For the younger ones that are with us, when I'm saying this, it's not a bad word. It's a place. But Jesus is talking about hell right here. He referred to it multiple times as Guyana. Guyana was a little place right outside the city of Jerusalem. It was the garbage dump. But before it was the garbage dump, it was used for pagan worship. And in that pagan worship, there were actually children who were sacrificed. And then after these children were sacrificed, they would take their chi- these children, they would throw their bodies into this valley, and they set this valley on fire. And this valley, even though it never burned like a blaze like we think, it continually smoldered. It continually burned. You know, burning's, burning's a terrible thing. How many of you have ever been burnt? We're approaching Fourth of July. Little kids, little young ones, even teenagers, don't take a lesson from what I what I'm about to say. When we were kids, we used to love going to our family reunion. We'd always go to our family reunion in June, which was in South Carolina. The main reason we loved to go to South Carolina is because South Carolina had fireworks, and we got to stop at the fireworks store, and we got to buy all these fireworks. Now, a lot of people think, well, you bought these fireworks to set off a beautiful display. No, we didn't. We bought these fireworks to shoot at each other. We used to have these firework wars to where we would get all this stuff. Mom, if this is the first time you've heard this, um, this is what we were doing in the backyard. But we would get all of this stuff, and we would mainly focus on things like bottle rockets. And we'd get pieces of PVC pipe. We'd put a bottle rocket in there, light it, and we'd aim it at each other. Man, it was a blast. But when one of them things hit you, man, it hurt. We got these things called Saturn Missile Batteries. Some of you know what they are. They had a hundred shots in them and they were the, the moon rockets, the whistling rockets. And we would sit there and we would hold these things and just run across the yard firing them at each other. Then we broke out the Roman candles. Man, that hurt. That hurt bad. But the worst that I've ever been burnt with a firework was not during our firework wars. The worst that I've ever been burnt with a firework was when me and my brother were simply play, playing with sparklers. We were trying to light them. I hate lighting sparklers. You sit there with a the lighter, you see a little tsk tsk. you think it's going to light? Nope. You got to sit there with the lighter a little bit more. You see another little tsk tsk tsk. you think it's going to light? No, you got to sit there a little bit more. So I'm sitting there with the lighter and my brother's got it pretty close to me because it's windy. And the thing finally takes off. And when it takes off, evidently I'd done something very horrible to my brother because when it takes off, my brother just took it and stuck it straight to my chest. (laughs) I shot him with a BB gun later, so I got back. (laughs) It hurt. It was anguish. It was a pain like I had never felt before. I've got a very high pain tolerance, but when that sparkler, burning at somewhere around 1600 degrees, touched my skin, it hurt. I cried. Can you imagine that pain lasting forever? Can you imagine that pain lasting for all of eternity? Because when Jesus describes hell, that's exactly what he tells us it's like. It's a never-ending fire. And I know some of you are like, "Well, Scotty, Jesus focused on love. Jesus focused on the preaching of love. And you know what? I'm not going to disagree with you on that. But I want to give you a couple of other things that he told us about Hell. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus tells us why hell was created for Satan and his angels. In Matthew 23, 15 and 31, and Matthew 25, 41, Jesus tells us of other occupants. He tells us of religious people who will occupy hell, and he tells us of those who reject Jesus who will occupy hell. In Matthew 10, 28 and Luke 12 5 Jesus tells us who will cast these occupants into hell the father the father ultimately the father will be the one who cast these occupants into hell Jesus was a teacher of both truth and grace and truth, guys, is sometimes bitter. Truth sometimes stings. But truth is something that we have to face as reality. 70% of everything that, if you want to look at it statistic wise, 70% of everything that we know about hell came from Jesus' teachings. Peter, John, James, and Jude directed a path. Of an understanding of Hades, hell, whatever you want to call it. But Jesus is one who laid down the framework of what it's going to be like. We don't like talking about this stuff, do we? We don't. We don't like talking about this stuff because it can be seen as hateful. And I'll be honest with you, I've been in some settings to where this doctrine because it is a doctrine, it is a doctrine straight from the Bible, was taught as a form of guilt. It was taught as a form of fear. But I want you to realize this. Jesus never taught about hell in those contexts. Jesus taught about hell in the context of love. As a warning. How many of you have been to the doctor lately? Did the doctor warn you about anything? Did he warn you about your A1C? Did she warn you about your weight? Did she warn you about the stress level that you may have on your life? Did she worry, did he or she warn you about some spots that you may have had on your skin? Let me ask you a question. Did they do that out of hate? No. Believe it or not, they did that because they're concerned about you. When Jesus talked on the subject of hell, he talked about it because he loves you. He never used it as a guilt trip. He never used it as a tactic of fear. He always used it as a tactic of warning. If you love somebody, you will warn them bad things that are coming in their life, will you not? So if you don't warn people about bad things that could be coming in their life, let me ask you this question. Do you really love them? Peter tells us that Jesus, God, was not willing that any should perish. John 3:16 tells us that for God so loved the that he gave his only begotten that whoever believes in him shall not perish. It's not about fear. It's not about condemnation. It's not about guilt. It's not about hate. Jesus is directing his disciples to this reality because he loves you, and not only does he love you, he loves everyone in this world. You say, Scotty, how do you know? How do you know that he honestly loved everyone in this world because he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross to pay for the penalty? that we deserve now I don't want you to get me wrong salvation salvation is not really about a destination because I've heard this tactic preached a lot of times too how many people don't want to go to hell I don't I don't like burning I don't want to burn I don't want to drown That's still not the whole meaning of salvation. Salvation is not about a destination, brothers and sisters. Salvation is about a relationship and a presence of his relationship. And you know, there's been a lot of times when I have talked on this subject and I've referred to hell as the complete absence from God. I was wrong in that. You hear what I said? I was wrong in that. Because hell is not the complete absence of God's presence. Because hell is the very presence of God's wrath. Wrath on those who are disobedient. Who was it first created for? Satan and his angels. After that, all who are disobedient will face the same punishment. We've got these, menta- we got these thoughts in our minds of hell. Little guy in a red suit sitting there reigning and ruling in hell. Do you realize what a lie that is? Satan's not the ruler of hell. He's the first occupant. And he will endure the same punishment, the same burning, the same weeping and gnashing of teeth that everybody else who's there will. This is a reality. This is very unpopular in our culture. This is not something that we like to talk about. This is not something that we want to share with people. This is not something that we want to sit down with each other and have a discussion about. Yesterday, we went up to Helton Creek Falls. Me and the boys went up there with Jennifer and I don't know if y'all have been there lately, but the whole trail got washed out with all the rain. I mean, it is a great time. But I'm sitting there and I'm watching something. I'm watching my boys. They're having to cross these pretty difficult obstacles. A real slick creek. And I'm watching Dalton and I'm watching Colton. And I watch them turn around and say, "Mama." be careful, take my hand. And they're leading their mom across these creeks, across these slippery banks. Why? Because they love her. And they cared enough to warn her about the danger that was right before her. Jesus' teaching on hell is the same way. It's not about hate. It's not about guilt. And it's not about condemnation or fear. It's all about the love that he has for us. Not popular, is it? Not popular when we look at it in today's context. But Jesus gives us a clear reason at the end of this parable why we should be diligent in warning people about this. In verse 52, it says, And Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of household, who brings out his treasures, treasures, things new, and things old. Understand what Jesus is saying here. Scribe had a very, very, very heavy responsibility on him. Scribes had to be accurate. When a scribe was writing down the Bible or copying the Bible, he had to be sure that every word, every period, every little exclamation point, parentheses, was in there. He had to make sure that it was copied word for word. He had to make sure that it was translated very, very accurately to a point to where people could understand it. He had a responsibility to tell the truth. He didn't get to choose what parts of the word or whatever he was copying that he wanted to write. Before we had printers Before we had printing press, we had scribes. And their job was to tell all the truth. Not just the truth that they wanted. And when Jesus is saying this, a scribe becomes a disciple. He is like the person of a household who brings out treasures old and new. What's crazy here is, you know, yes, Jesus knew that we would have this word. But at this time when this is spoken they didn't have an Old Testament and a New Testament. They just had the scriptures. They had the scrolls. They had the scrolls of the Old Testament. What we have today is the Old Testament. But you know what they did have that was Old and New? They had covenants. They had the Mosaic Covenant. They had the Abrahamic Covenant. They had the Davidic Covenant. But cross was bringing about a new covenant. You know, I've been hearing a lot of things lately that that really concern me, guys. There's certain teachers. There's certain preachers. And there's even certain pastors who are saying that we need to completely unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament. Why would you do that? Because we need to be about love. Because we need to be about grace. And you know, the Old Testament, a lot of times it shows God to be a mean God. Brothers and sisters, the Old Testament is just telling us what could be of us if we don't receive the gift of the New Testament. It's not about God being a mean guy. It's not portraying God as a fat kid with a magnifying glass on an anthill. It's portraying God as a creator of love who fashioned you in your mother's womb. I want you to think about that word. When he says he fashioned you, you know what that means? That means he put his hands on you. He formed you. He made you. He created you. And he created you with a purpose. Somewhere along the line, we got away from that purpose. Somewhere along the line we got into our own interest we got into our own desires and somewhere along the line we forgot how much god loved us brothers and sisters we can't cherry pick the bible I'm going to make a statement, I want you to hear me out on this, that some of you may scratch your head on. But I'm going to be honest with you, there's parts of this Bible that I really don't like. There's parts of these things that I read that I really don't like. And I want to tell you the real reason why I don't like them. It's not that I don't like them because they're mean. It's not that I don't like them because they're hateful. It's not that I don't like them because I see them as condemnation. The real reason I don't like these parts in the Bible is because they show me everything that I am not. It's not about hating me. It's about God so loving me that while I was destined for an eternity in hell, He sent his only begotten son to die for me. That he entered the grave that I was supposed to enter. He took on the punishment that I should have gotten. And he rose from the dead to show his victory over death. To show his victory over sin. And to set me free from an eternity that he did not want me to endure. Is that a story of hate? No, brothers and sisters. That's the story of love. We can't unhinge ourselves from the old things and just embrace the new. We can't cherry pick the things that we want to talk about and the things that we don't want to talk about. And over the next couple of weeks, guys, we're going to be talking about some heavy stuff. We're going to be talking about giving the reason for the hope that is in you. Can you do that? We're going to talk about why you can trust this. We're going to be talking about things of unpopular things in our culture. We're going to be talking about the subject of homosexuality, but we're going to embrace the subject of divorce at the same time. We're going to be talking about times where we may have to say that we're standing with God and not our country. But ultimately, what it will all come down to is we're going to have to choose. We're approaching a time to where we're going to have to choose between our culture and His Word. We're approaching a time where we're going to have to choose between our God and our country. And brothers and sisters, we could even be approaching a time to where we're going to have to choose between popularity and persecution. Hard times, aren't they? Some would look at it that way. But let me tell you the way I look at it. There will come a day when my Savior will appear. There will come a day when just like that dragnet, all will be encompassed and all will be taken. And there will be a day where those fish were sorted good from bad, that all that occupy this world will be sorted good from bad. And there will be a day that when this sorting takes place, that I know that I will be sorted toward the side of good. Some of you say, well, that's kind of bold, Scotty. It's kind of arrogant. No, because let me tell you why I will be sorted to the good. I will be sorted to the good because I believe that Jesus died for me. I will be sorted to the good because I know that Jesus paid the punishment that I was supposed to get. I will be sorted to the good because I know that God was not willing that I should perish. I will be sorted to the good because I know that God so loved me that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, being me, will not perish but will have everlasting life. I will be sorted to the good because God looked at me one day and said, Son, I love you. What are you doing? You know better. You've done wrong. A punishment's got to be paid. But I put that punishment on my son. We can look at the glass half empty or we can look at it half full. But my question to you this morning is, which side are you gonna be on? Good fish? Bad fish. Wicked? Righteous. Culture? The word. God? Country. Popularity. Persecution. Father, your word is often never easy. The truths of your word make us dig not only into who you are, but also who we are. And this morning, Lord, I know, I know I've done my best, Lord, to present the whole counsel of your word. And God, honestly, even the parts that I'm not a big fan of, But Father, when we look at it in the proper context of what you've done for us, we see that it is not a story of hate, a story of anger, or a story of hostility. We see that it is a story of your love, your undying love for us. For you to put that on your son so that we would be spared from the punishment that we deserved. Lord, I'll be honest with you. Nobody else has ever done anything like that for me in my life. And that's why this morning, Lord, I am thankful to have you as my Lord, my Master, my Savior. But I'm also thankful for the opportunity that you give me to share this word. Father, help us to take this word, ingest this word. And help this word to be motivation to us. To be out. Just like that house. Head of house. Presenting things old and new. And Father help us to remember the command that you give us. To go make disciples. In every nation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that you commanded us to observe and help us to remember God that you are with us even to the end thank you Lord for the truths that you've given us through your word it's in Jesus name I pray amen this morning as we give a time of invitation maybe there's things that you're wrestling with maybe there's things that you're wrestling with and you and God need to have a sit down and talk. This morning would be a great time for that. You can do it here at an altar. You can do it in your pew. But I challenge you, whatever you're wrestling with from His Word today, I challenge you not to leave here without seeking Him first. Maybe this morning, for the first time, you realized the punishment that is coming to you. But even more important than that, you realized the love that has been shown to you through what what his son did for you. And maybe this morning, for the first time, you truly believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. And for the first time this morning, you want to fully surrender your life to Jesus. This morning, I invite you to do just that. Believe in Jesus. Repent from your wicked ways. And surrender your life to him. This morning as we stand, as they sing, however God's dealing with you this morning, whether it's to come to this altar, whether it's you want me to come pray with you, come grab me. Or whether you just need to have some time with God right where you are. You deal with God as he is dealing with you. Respond. As they sing, respond.